frolic on a playground with children who aren't there. Explore an abandoned mine shaft that reveals riches in the most interesting vein. Tour a film set inside a house that's trying to kill you. All this plus more weird history, strange science, and the paranormal. It's too bizarre. It's too close for comfort. It's two parts thrills and one parts terror in this Parlor Stories edition of Odd Tonic. Welcome to the parlor. I'm Jennifer. And I'm Maxwell. Settle in, dear guest, and pull the blanket up to your nose. It's time for another edition of Parlor Stories, a delightful and frightful assortment of true tales of the unexplained, sent in by listeners just like you. <sighs> I've missed blanket weather. The leaves are starting to change, the sunlight has a certain slant to it, and the weather is ever so slightly cooler. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm so excited for autumn to begin. <laughs> we didn't really have one of those grueling hot summers that needs to be recovered from in the Pacific Northwest, but... I am ready. <laughs> but speaking of recovering, I feel like we're still recovering from last month's parlor stories. The tales that Rick shared with us have some very haunting visuals. Oh, I agree. And speaking of Rick, dear guest, you may remember a story he told about moving into an apartment building in 2007 and living upstairs from his best friend, Jeff. Yeah, Rick described going down to visit with Jeff and his girlfriend and feeling a ping, which is how Rick describes the feeling of something paranormal about to happen, or when there is at least potential for it. Right. And Rick had asked if they had ever encountered anything weird in their apartment, to which the couple confessed that they had not. And the following morning, Rick was confronted by Jeff's girlfriend, who really gave him an <laughs> earful. Tonight, we can share... Why? After Rick's stories aired, Jeff reached out to us to share his side of the story and so much more. Yes, I can see why these two are good friends. <laughs> and you will too, dear guest, beginning now. Hi, I'm Jeff, the friend of Rick who lived in that basement suite of the old apartment where he got the ping. He didn't mention the second part of that story. I wanted to fill you in on those missing details. It was more than a decade ago now, but I remember it fairly well. That night, for some reason, I couldn't fall asleep. I was tossing and turning and generally being an annoying person to be sharing a bed with, so this was really aggravating my girlfriend. So I decided to sleep on the couch, which was about a dozen paces away in the living room, small apartment. As I was about to fall asleep, I could feel myself drifting, but it was a different type of drift than normal. I felt like I was really small. I mean, really small, and that the world was huge. The best way I can describe it is to say that I felt like a bouncing ball, where I would be on the couch, and then I would feel extremely far away, and then I would fall back into the couch. It's a really hard feeling to explain. Just as this was happening, I heard my girlfriend call out, Jeff, come back to bed. Her voice triggered me back onto the couch again, leaving me wide awake. 
You know that feeling you get when you are incredibly tired and you know you have to get up early for work, but everything is keeping you awake, leaving you equally stressed out as you are exhausted? That was me. So in this bad mindset, I just ignored her and tried to fall back asleep. Then I heard her again. Jeff, please come back to bed. Still, I pretended to be asleep. She called out two more times. I was finally getting annoyed. But then I heard, Jeff, and it sounded like she was on the verge of tears. And I thought, oh, great, I'm in trouble. She thinks I'm mad at her. At this point, I had this sense that she was coming into the room to shake me awake so I'd go back to bed. So I rolled over onto my side and I saw her silhouette standing in the doorway of the bedroom. I mumbled something along the lines of, just go back to bed. I can't sleep in there and I need to rest. In response, she said, I am. Her voice was small and scared and far away. I didn't know how to react to that and I took it as her playing a joke on me for some reason. The next morning, she was nearly in tears when she asked me why I had not come back to bed. I was thinking to myself, I was just trying to get to sleep. Why am I in trouble? But I said, I almost did when you were standing in the doorway. That wasn't funny. I was trying to sleep. That's when her eyes got huge and her entire body language just changed and she blurted out, That's why I wanted you to come back to bed. That thing wasn't me. We both got really quiet. And that's when she went upstairs and yelled at Rick for stirring stuff up. (laughs) (laughs) I've had quite a few inexplicable events in my life, and I would honestly love it if there was a scientific reason for any or all of them. Because really... Wouldn't it be interesting if we could control how these things happened? Although, I believe it was this experimental line of thinking that had gotten Rick and me into a few interesting scenarios in the past. Before I get into the next story and you start rolling your eyes, yes, I do think Ouija boards are very easy to manipulate to make whatever outcome you want really happen. That being said, we were starting to play around with the idea of Can we control the outcome of a Ouija board experience? And if so, how? So we figured, let's experiment with a Ouija board and find out. It was just the two of us, Rick and me. And we asked something that we both knew the answer to, something we thought would be easy for us to manipulate. We asked, what's Rick's spirit animal? At the time, the answer was wolf. So that's what we fully expected to see spelled out on the board. What happened instead, we definitely did not expect. We asked the question. Nothing happened. Rick said that he wasn't really feeling anything, but that we should be patient. No less than a few seconds after he says this, I felt goosebumps up my neck and down my arms. Rick suddenly looked at me. We stared at each other for a split second, freaked and excited. Excited that what we were doing was about to get a result, but freaked once we realized what that meant. Suddenly, we heard the howl of a wolf from outside the open window behind me. Then, 
A large gust of wind blew through, flickering our candles like crazy. The howl was strange, like you could hear it with your ears, but also inside your mind, like the wolf was down the alley, but also literally right next to us. We flipped that board and went straight to bed. (laughs) (laughs) Good night. (laughs) I've always been pretty open with my parents about the strange things I've experienced. I can recall the first time I saw something I knew wasn't right. I was four, maybe five years old. My dad was putting me to bed, and I noticed there was this shadow on my ceiling, which I thought looked pretty neat. It looked like a pterodactyl, and hey, I was a kid, and dinosaurs were cool. So I pointed it out to my dad. He saw it, but didn't seem to think it was as cool as five-year-old me did. I asked, what could possibly be making a shape like that? He explained it was coming from outside, and the street lamp was making it. He walked over to the window and closed the blinds and curtain to prove the point. I kept watching the shadow so I could see it disappear. When he covered the window, the shadow never disappeared. In fact, it started to move. I remember screaming and asking my dad to turn on the lights. He ran to the lights and flicked them on, and I just kept my eyes shut. I didn't sleep in my room that night, but thankfully, I never saw that shadow again either. I never liked that house. I was always seeing shadow people in the corner of my eyes and in the cracks of doors. I would always have the feeling of being watched, even when I knew that I was alone. When I was seven, we moved away from Winnipeg and into an old farmhouse just outside Selkirk, Manitoba. Nothing paranormal, weird, or even unnerving ever happened in that house. But outside the house, that's another story. One night, when I was ten, maybe eleven, my parents and I had just gotten home from a long drive. The house's security lights didn't turn on that night, but that wasn't too unusual, as the bulbs would occasionally burn out. We had a flower garden between where the car was parked and the house, and as we walked down the garden path, I started getting a weird feeling. I shook it off as just being tired. Without the lights... It was near pitch black. I held my dad's hand while looking for the white rocks that lined the path as a guide. We continued down the path, when out of nowhere, what I could only describe as a white shadow or Casper the unfriendly ghost, rushed at me. It looked solid, almost corporeal, until it got to my face. It had this ungodly look like a mixture of the guy from the Scream movies and one of the victims from The Ring. I closed my eyes and full-on screamed. Let me tell you, my dad jumped. He didn't see it, but he sure heard and felt me. I think I crushed his hand. To this day, I've tried to explain what it was, but I have no clue. I can't even begin to logically explain what that might have been. I think one of the most bizarre moments in my life, up until now, would have to be, actually, I don't know what to call it. This happened after I moved out of that basement apartment and into a larger basement suite elsewhere in the city. I was lying in bed, sleeping, 
when I suddenly woke up. Nothing weird, no pings, no strange feelings. It was as if my internal alarm woke up and said it was time to be awake. It was between 5 and 6 a.m. in the summer, right about the time the sun is thinking about coming up. Daylight was just starting to seep into the apartment. Everything had a light blue hue to it. I was just about to sit up in my bed when I realized my bedroom door was fairly open, which was pretty common. My roommate's cat liked to come in and hang out, and he would bang on the door if it was closed. I was just about to get up and shut it when I saw a clawed hand appear on the hallway wall outside my door. The thin fingers were about eight or nine inches long. Then the thing's entire body appeared in the hallway. It was maybe six feet tall and had the body of a very thin, naked woman. Her breasts were covered by shadow hair and both of the hands had long, black, fingernail claw things. But that wasn't what really caught my eye. It was the mask. The mask it wore was a wooden spirit mask with large, thin fangs carved in, painted red. It was very tribal-looking. This thing looked right at me, right into my eyes, and acknowledged me being there. It nodded to me, as if to say it knew that I knew. And then it passed right by my room, crossing my doorway and down the hall. I was frozen with fear the whole time. I recovered my breathing and slowly walked to where it went. The only rooms in that area were the bathroom and my roommate's room but it didn't look like it had turned to go into her room. It was as if it had just been passing through. I didn't get a good feeling or a bad feeling from it. It was just such an alien thing to see. I didn't know what to do. I told my roommate about it a couple weeks later, thinking I would just sound crazy. <laughs> she got mad at me because she said she wanted to know about things like that in the apartment. Turns out, she had experienced similar things in her life, too. I don't know if that classifies as sleep paralysis or not, but it felt incredibly vivid. Earlier, I mentioned how I was open about this with my parents. I'm going to try to talk to them again, because they've had their own experiences that are pretty out there. I can't recall all the details of this story, especially since it all happened before I was born. But as I can recall it, there was a time when my parents lived in a haunted house, and it sounds like it was straight out of a horror movie. I'll have to talk to them about all of the details, but apparently this sort of stuff runs in the family. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Yes, those were amazing. Thank you. How amazing is it to get another angle to a previous parlor story? I know. Maybe next month we can feature Rick's side to Jeff's side to Rick's side of the story. <laughs> How many different inception layers of independent confirmation can we get? <laughs> I'd be intrigued to hear more experiences from Jeff's family. So, Jeff, have them send us their stories. Yes, please do. And in the meantime, here's a submission from Gail concerning her and her family's hobby. 
which once led them to something extraordinary. My name is Gail. I grew up in South Dakota near the Black Hills, an area rich with paranormal activity, as well as remnants from prior times. For example, there are many teepee rings there, rings made out of stones that were used to hold down teepees. Some of these were on the land in which my family's ranch stands. You can find Native American artifacts along the river that flows through our property. The Black Hills are also home to Deadwood, the 1874 Gold Rush, the Bell Witch, known from the Blair Witch Project, and other cool and spooky things. I could ramble on all day about the history here and my experiences. The one that I want to share today would be an experience my family and I had when I was around 12. We were a family of spelunkers. I know, who takes a child spelunking? (laughs) But that was me, a little girl who explored caves and mines. There were many of them in the Black Hills. Some were closed off, but that never stopped us from exploring. We would usually make a weekend of it with a group of friends. On one of our camping spelunking adventures, most of the group stayed back at the camp while my parents and I explored this little mine we had come across on the way into the camping site. The mine was boarded up, but there was a hole big enough for a person to sneak in. Sketchy, right? My dad went in first to make sure it was safe. My mom and I followed. Upon entering the darkness with our flashlights, we noticed the entrance branched off into two directions. One way was inaccessible due to water. It was common for miners to hit water and flood an area of a mine. So, we took the only other way. After some time of following the little minecart rails on the ground, the rails ended, and the cave walls started to wind into a room. My dad peered into the room and exclaimed, What? No way! My mother and I quickly came to look. The room was full of odd things like old paintings, items of gold, and jewelry. Wow. It was like a treasure room. We didn't touch or take any of the items. My family believes in the paranormal and cursed items. (laughs) So instead, my mother took some pictures and we went back to camp to tell our friends to come look at what we had found. Perhaps an hour had passed from the time we left to the time we returned to the cave. When we entered the cave's room, everything was gone. Our friends thought we were playing a joke on them, but when they saw how serious we all were, they too were spooked. We checked on the room a couple more times throughout the weekend, and the treasure never came back. Was it a time slip or ghosts? Who knows? Most likely, this mine was used during the 1874 gold rush. Sometime after that, it was flooded. And maybe someone at one time hid their expensive riches in this thought-to-be-closed-off mine. The camera that my mom took the pictures of the room with was one of those disposable cameras everyone used in the 90s. But when she went to have it developed, they told her there was no film in the camera. Wow. Ah, <laughs> do we want to follow this under ghosts or time slip? That's really the question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The camera detail completely falls in line with the 
time loop story that we shared right. where the pictures the tourists took in the mysterious hotel mm-hmm. were missing from the negatives, mm-hmm. but the whole film roll going missing? Ah. I mean, what were the odds of that disposable camera not having film in it? Exactly. And it makes you wonder whether whatever made off with the treasure maybe made off with the photographic evidence too. (laughs) It must have been so frustrating to learn they had no proof of their find. I know. Can you imagine? Oh, Gail, thank you so much for sending this terrific story to us. Yes, thank you, Gail. And also, if you have more, and it sounds like you do, (laughs) please send those too. My love, this is a great spot to take a brief pause. But um, before we do, would you like to share what develops later on in the show oh i can't believe i kissed that mouth when we return we'll have plenty more spooky to share including a round of duck duck ghost and a vengeful spirit who maybe only wanted a starring credit in a movie don't go summoning spectral wolves without us dear guest odd tonic we'll be right back Dear guest, we love sharing the parlor with you in the candlelight as we read these stories from odd listeners just like you. Enjoying your visit? Want to bring a ghoulish gift for your hosts? Consider donating to our Patreon. Not only would you be supporting Odd Tonic, you could get some spooky rewards as well, such as the much-coveted Odd Tonic stickers that have been shown off on social media. (laughs) (laughs) Or another amazing perk, like being thanked by name during our podcast. This is my favorite part. We'd love to thank Stephen and Clarence for supporting Odd Tonic. Thank you so much. And Robert and Todd, as well as Janessa with the Salish Sea Sirens. We love our fellow creatives and our mermaids. We can't thank you all enough. If you'd like to help support the Odd Tonic podcast, visit us at patreon.com slash odd tonic. And don't forget to visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. All at Odd Tonic Society. And check out our enhanced episodes of Odd Tonic on YouTube to get a deeper glimpse into the parlor. And of our handsome visages. <laughs> In the meantime, let's return for more bonafide bone-chilling stories. Welcome back. So far, we've wandered into a cave with a spectral treasure you would love to recover, as well as a spooky masked ghost lady encounter, giving you a scare from which you may never recover. (laughs) Now let's hear from Allison with her field trip into a dark corner of California history. It was 1995 when I moved to San Luis Obispo, California to begin college. San Luis Obispo, or SLO as the locals call it, is halfway between San Francisco and Los Angeles on California's central coast. Located on a coastal valley surrounded by rolling hills and rocky outcroppings, it's one of the most picturesque places I have ever lived. It is also crazy haunted. Home to California's first mass murder, a Spanish mission with a violent past and at least four murders by two separate serial killers, San Luis Obispo County is steeped in violent and often haunted history. Mm. But as an incoming freshman, all I knew was it was beautiful and I could study animals there. It wouldn't be long before I got my first introduction into SLO's dark history. The week before classes started was an orientation for incoming students. We basically spent five days running all around the county with other students learning where to eat, where to play, and where to get into mischief. 
One night, our group leaders drove us out to the south side of town and up a hill behind the old general hospital. The street ended at the county probation office. Headlights off, we drove through their parking lot and on to a dirt road. Further up the hill, we saw a dark brick building looming in the moonlight. Designed by the same firm as Ghirardelli Square in San Francisco, Sunny Acres and its Romanesque architecture was originally built to house tuberculosis patients in the 1930s. Over the decades, Sunny Acres served as an orphanage, a juvenile detention facility, and a home for difficult children. It was shut down in the 1970s amid rumors of steel cages and violent abuse. Oh my God. We got out of our cars and walked up to the front door. The plan was to get inside and walk the halls of this supposedly haunted hospital. But the windows and the doors were boarded up tight, and we were worried we'd be seen in the bright moonlight. So we walked around back and sat on the blacktop of the playground. There were about 30 of us seated in a big oval on the old basketball court where we started taking turns telling ghost stories. Haunted houses, Ouija boards, Bloody Mary. We hit all the creepy teen highlights. We'd been telling stories for about 45 minutes when it happened. I heard a scream of shock to my left and then felt two hands on my back push me violently forward. I sat back up in time to see that the person on my right was also leaning forward over their lap. And then I saw the next two people suddenly lean forward over their legs like they were being pushed but there was no one there. Everyone else in the group thought we were messing around, but we all felt it. Someone, or something, had pushed each of us. Clearly, whatever it was didn't want us there on the blacktop. Wow. Since that day, the city of San Luis Obispo has had different offers to develop the property, but they've all fallen through for one reason or another. The city put a fence up around the building and posted asbestos warnings to keep people out. But a few years later, the city put up a second fence around just the blacktop as if there was something there we also needed to fear. Personally, I think it's some very angry children. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Allison. I loved this story, and your research and details were amazing. Completely. And it's so intriguing how... The history of a place can just soak into the land and reside there. Yeah, I know. And dear guest, if you would like to reside at Sunny Acres for a bit, albeit virtually, (laughs) Allison sent a Google Maps link that will allow you to see the building and the infamous blacktop Mm. in 3D. Check for it in the show notes. Now let's visit another location seeped in troubled history. Captain Burton is going to hitch us to his circus wagon and carry us out to Northwest Arkansas. Take it away, Captain. Hello, I'm Captain Eric Burton. I'm the ringleader and owner of Captain Burton's Funtime Sideshow Circus and Captain Burton's Cabinet of Curiosities. And as such, you may correctly assume that my life has been full of strange events. One of my running jokes is, I'm not afraid of things in the dark. The things in the dark are afraid of me. (laughs) But it is probably more accurate to say that the things in the dark like me and that we understand each other. There are so many stories I could share, like the one where I was protected by shadow people or when I was invited to live with a tribe of Bigfoot. 
And just a note here, dear guest, I've actually had an opportunity to speak with the good captain, and I will say this. If Captain Burton says that he had an opportunity to share a flat with a Sasquatch, I will not immediately discount it. And he's promised to share that story in a later episode. But let's get back to this one. The captain says, And then there are all the ghosts. So many ghosts. But I will start with this story, my dear friends. Have you ever had a recurring dream? that ceaselessly haunts you. I have, and I still do. When I was a kid, maybe eight or nine, my grandparents lived on a ranch in Prairie Grove, Arkansas. My grandpa was the ranch manager, and they stayed in an old 1800s ranch house on the property. During the summertime, my sister, cousins, and I would spend several weeks out there. Prairie Grove is about 10 miles west of Fayetteville, and the home of a major battle fought during the American Civil War. After nine hours of fighting, the battle ended in a stalemate with over 2,500 killed on December 7, 1862. The ranch property was across the road from the battlefield park, which now had a visitor center and a couple of era homes you could tour. Nearest the ranch was the park's sloping fields leading to a wooded area. As kids, we would find stuff from the battle around the fields, like sword handles, parts of old guns, things of that sort. One night, that first summer, I was exploring on my own, near the road that separated the ranch from the park's woods. The stars were out, fireflies twinkled in the fields, and the moon had the landscape brightly lit. My eyes were drawn to the fireflies dancing in the battlefield's woods. Looking closer, I realized that these lights were too big to be lightning bugs. And they were of a whitish blue color. And there were sounds. I could hear gunfire, men's voices shouting and screaming in pain. If you can imagine having the film Braveheart on a TV, but in another room where the sound is muffled, that's what it was like. I remember thinking, this is really cool and creepy. And now I think I'll just head home before I pee myself. <laughs> <laughs> the old ranch house was nothing special. A two-story home with three bedrooms, two upstairs and one downstairs. Us kids had the rooms upstairs and a space for a playroom. On the first day, I stepped foot in that house. I didn't like that upstairs. It felt the way... Darkness feels, claustrophobic, heavy, and hard to breathe. The first floor was pretty open, and you could see the stairs from a lot of angles. From the corner of my eye, I would always see something up there, like a weird shadow. It got to the point that I just forced myself to stop looking up there altogether. The staircase that led upstairs was narrow and enclosed, like a hallway, it emptied into the playroom space, and there was a hallway to the left, running parallel to the stairs, stretching nine or ten feet to the back bedroom at its end. But it was the other bedroom that I got a really bad feeling from, on the right, at the foot of the stairs. There was a storage space built into the room, but 
Where it was located was odd. It was inside a closet, its doorway built into the closet wall. I would not sleep in that room at all. And I would only sleep in the other bedroom down the hall if someone was with me. Not that it kept things from happening. Many nights, around 2.30 or 3 in the morning, I would be woken by the sensation of the covers getting pulled off my legs or of something sitting down on my side of the bed. One night, I was asleep with my mom in that other bedroom when I suddenly woke up, feeling like something was watching me. The house was silent, but too silent. It was heavy and thick, like being in a sensory deprivation tank. I could sense it coming, this bad thing, its presence radiating. From down the hallway, it slowly glided into my room. Its face was like a white mask, its eyes black and sunken in, its mouth closed. I tried to move, but my arms and legs felt like they were weighted. It came to a stop beside my bed and just stared at me. I screamed, but only a small, breathy sound came out. Now, I don't generally believe in good and evil. I believe things are basically both and neither at the same time. But this, this thing, there was no mistaking an evil intent. From its smoky shadow of a body, a dark and bony hand grabbed me above the ankle and began pulling me off the mattress. I hit the floor and watched helplessly as it dragged me across the room, toward the doorway, headed for the other bedroom. I blacked out. I woke up early the next morning, crying, in the playroom. All I can remember thinking during that moment was, I cannot go into that room, and thank goodness I wasn't pulled into it. After that night, I never slept upstairs again and only went up there if I had to. I made a bed on the couch downstairs. There was activity downstairs too, but it wasn't threatening. In fact, it gave me a sense of calm and being watched over. The bad thing stayed upstairs. And years later, I learned that the house was torn down. Now, back to me asking you, about reoccurring dreams. Every so often, I dream about that ranch house. And the bad thing is there, always trying to drag me up to it. Or it starts as a normal dream, and I walk through a doorway and suddenly I'm in the living room of the house with a friend or a relative trying to get me to go up those stairs. I say, nah, I'm good, and back out. But no matter which way I walk or turn, I'm always stepping over the threshold back into that house. I had one of these dreams just recently. After them, something bad always happens. It's like an omen or the thing upstairs trying to cause chaos in my life. I don't know. Maybe the bad thing is looking for me and can only find me in my dream. 
This is getting longer than I wanted, so I'm going to say goodnight and sweet dreams. Until next time, this is Captain Burton signing off. Ah. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I love the Captain Burton stories. Yeah, me too. Now, not only am I covered in goosebumps right now, thanks, Captain, <laughs> but I'm also so charmed by the thought of the Fun Time Sideshow Circus. Oh, yeah. I've watched his promotional videos on YouTube, and Fun Time really seems to be an accurate moniker. <laughs> want to go and i really want to explore his cabinet of curiosities yes we definitely need to plan a trip Mm. his circus does travel to cons and events but you can find them at home in austin texas where they perform at the austin oddities market also run by the illustrious captain Mm -hmm. find out more by looking up captain burton's fun time sideshow circus on all the socials from what we can tell It appears to be a spectacle you won't soon forget. Mm, Much like our last story of the evening. Let's visit picturesque Port Gamble, Washington. The streets of this once bustling logging town haven't changed much since the 1850s. Today, this popular tourist town is filled with antique shops, restaurants, and even a historic theater and a general store. Its charm is very reminiscent of New England as founders William Tabbitt and Andrew Pope planned the town to reflect the character of their hometown, East Machias, Maine. Sounds amazing, right? Mm. Well, we can tell you from experience, it is. Yes, it's not a far jaunt for Maxwell and I to drive out there, so we love to visit this tiny little town. Because it is also, of course, very haunted. <laughs> but let's leave it to our filmmaking friend, Tony, to describe an encounter with one of Port Gamble's most nefarious ghosts. We did this movie called Zombies of Mass Destruction years ago in Port Gamble, which is this logging town by Kingston, Washington. During the tech scout, the mayor took us through the locations on this two-street town. He told us the history, which was basically, it was a logging town, and the wives would wait on the balconies for their husbands to return from the ships. Sometimes, when they didn't, the wives would throw themselves from the widow's walk. (laughs) Nice, nice little town story. (laughs) Be sure to visit our gift shop. (laughs) There was one house, the Walker Ames house, also called the Captain's house, which was the main location we were shooting in. The mayor told us under no circumstances could any woman enter and be in the house alone. He couldn't insist enough. It was almost as if it was a location requirement in order to be able to come in and film. It was funny listening to the mayor. I've never heard someone so scared while giving a tour. Hmm. He insisted on the rules because whatever was in the house would seriously hurt any woman by herself. She was safe with a man, but if a woman was alone she was almost guaranteed to be harmed. Well, our production designer, Teresa, was a hardcore feminist badass who wasn't going to take any crap from any ghost or otherwise, so she spent the first prep week going in by herself. Wow. Sometimes we'd go in after her, and the house had this serious vertigo-type vibe with an old musty smell saturated with memories of multiple lifetimes. I'd walk in and catch glimpses of Teresa walking around, and then every so often, her head would bounce off the wall, as if 
Someone unseen had shoved her like she's walking straight and someone puts their hands on the side of her head and shoved her into the wall. That amount of force. And being Teresa, she'd just shake it off. The activity got really bad when we were downstairs. Something kept pushing her violently. Teresa would come tumbling down the stairs with a loud thwack, calmly get back up, and go back up the stairs. Oh, wow. Teresa is my hero. (laughs) Me too. I want to be Teresa when I grow up. (laughs) (laughs) After the second week, she started taking a male set decorator with her. Hmm. Hmm. So then we started filming in there and random crew members would get shoved around. It got really bad when we were there for a night shoot for Halloween. I was following Bethany, our props master, down to the basement where we were filming. We were walking down some really tight stairs where there's that overhang above your head that sticks out because of the floor above. And I kid you not, hand to God, Bethany went horizontal off the stairs in front of me, smacking into the overhang straight down the rest of the stairs. Not tripped or pushed because I was behind her, but straight out and into the wall and then down. Hmm. When Bethany described it, she said she felt like she was pushed and then grabbed by the leg at the same time and push-pulled down the stairs. Wow. Later that night, during the shoot, her leg started to really hurt. Like, really, really hurt. So bad that she asked to go back to the house where we were all staying and take the night off. Later on around 2 a.m., she took off her pants and looked at her leg and sent me a picture. On her leg is four fingerprints, part of a palm and a thumb, like someone grabbed her leg as hard as they could and squeezed. She had a hand-shaped bruise on her leg for a week. Holy smokes. So... She got banned from entering the house without the full crew there. While filming, I stayed in Port Gamble's haunted theater above the post office and slept in there with the gear. I had a sleeping bag on the stage, and I'd sleep on the stage facing the chairs in the audience section. We had a system where at night, when we wrapped up, the production coordinator would lock the doors so no one could get in with the gear while I slept. And every night, there were footsteps inside the building. I never wanted to investigate, because for one, the special effects department would leave zombie parts in the balcony that I'd be sure to trip over. (laughs) The only time it ever got really bad for me was when we filmed in the graveyard. It sat on the hill overlooking the town. I was working in the graveyard, and after wrap, everyone was pulling gear down to the trucks, and I was watching them with my back turned. And a woman, plain as day, said hello to me. When I turned to say hi, nothing but tombstones. The key grip was watching from the bottom of the hill by the truck, and he said all he saw was me jump three feet, then run down the hill and dive into his truck. (laughs) I was done. I don't blame him. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) After Tony submitted his story, I reached out and chatted with the props master, Bethany, about her scary experience in the Walker Ames house. She added that the main floor had some strange sound issues as well. The audio guys on the set complained that sound didn't behave correctly in the living room, dining room, and kitchen areas. He would clap his hands in the main room, and the sound echoed like it should. 
But when he clapped in the next room, the sound would immediately die like it was dampened. Mm. And then in the remaining section of the house, he would clap and the sound kept echoing and reverberating and created feedback. Created feedback. (laughs) Wow. Like ricocheting down through the spectral portal and back again? (laughs) Yikes. It's a neat trick. (laughs) She also said during the shoot, the sound guy was taking the stairs when his sound pack, which is a heavy audio recorder slung with a strap over his shoulder, slammed into him extremely hard as if someone had shoved him. He got the wind knocked out of him. Nearly everyone there had something weird happen to them. Wow. (laughs) Let's go back. (laughs) Uh, I suppose there is never a good time to discover for yourself that the paranormal is more than just Mm. a bunch of old wives' tales. Mm -hmm. But man, having that first experience be a violent one, that stinks. (laughs) Yeah. And when you're trying to work too. (laughs) Yeah. Film sets are hard. Don't go shoving people and flipping the craft (laughs) services table. Oh, they would have immediately called a priest at that point. (laughs) No one messes with craft service. Oh, my coffee. Oh, the snickerdoodles. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my love, shall we snuff the candles into darkness and let our dear guest go home? Oh, I suppose so. But Maybe not in that order. Like, <laughs> oh, 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 my shin! <laughs> Oof, my drink! <laughs> <laughs> well, that wraps up this Parlor Stories edition of Odd Tonic. Mm. We hope you've enjoyed these wonderful listener stories as much as we've enjoyed sharing them. Ah, goosebumps for days. <laughs> <laughs> Remember to subscribe so you never miss a show. And please leave us an iTunes review so other odd members of society can find us too. And don't forget about our Patreon. If you'd like to have your name, business name, spooky book title, or really any name of your choosing thanked during our next <laughs> Parlor Stories, go sign up now at patreon.com slash oddtonic. It's a great way for us to thank you for all your support and for you to have a little plug from our peculiar podcast. Mm. We're on all the socials at Odd Tonic Society and come join us in the parlor on the Odd Tonic YouTube channel. Absolutely. And leave a comment on your favorite episode. We love the feedback. Mm, And we'll be back next week with more weird history, strange science, and paranormal perplexities. This is Dear Guest Goodbye for now, but remember, should you ever explore the dark, twisting turns down a long, abandoned mine and discover, nestled within a hidden room, something strange and unexpected, leaving you to wonder if it's cursed, don't worry. It's just us. Good night.